As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. And I think that the fundamental business model of the internet is broken. I think that the the, the, the so-called free model, which uh, doesn't work because of the data implications, because of the way in which the free economy has been turned, turned into the surveillance economy. Anybody who is wealthy enough to pay for access lives in sort of a techno-utopia, but because you have to pay for access... Um, like the rest of society is left. What I felt was is Google's Google Chrome is very good, um, but it's designed to make sure that when they get data, they get as much as they can. The emergence of this precarious economy of Uber and Airbnb and Lyft, where we're selling our labor. Uh, by the day, by the hour, sometimes by the minute. And it's a sort of a libertarian fantasy, but Peter Thiel might like it, but I don't think many others do. 
you get embarrassed, you start thinking more carefully about how you, what information you ever communicate to could be misinterpreted. So if I happen to um, browse a gun website, regardless of whether you're pro or con guns, and I lived in Turkey, they might think that's surveillance. We have, there's a lot of negative associations with that word for good reason, but the nature of information technology makes persistent surveillance like a basic assumption. Boy, do we have a good show for you today. We're going to be talking about the implications of data and how data is being used for surveillance as a currency how sometimes we're the customer and other times we're just the product and the lines, how blurry they can be between the two. So stay tuned. We have a lot of good conversations with Andrew Keen, Elliot Pepper, and Paul Parisi on how they see the future and how data is shaping our world today. Welcome to rocketship.fm podcast where we explore startups from funding to growth, from culture to sales and everything in between. I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Joelle Goldman. Data and the collection of data and the usage of data can be often a, a slightly perplexing topic. We give everything we do today is now recorded. All of our movements, our geolocation, our emails... And we entrust this data with companies, for-profit companies, who largely use this data to sell us more things. And because of this, this data, especially in massive amounts, can become extremely valuable. Something like Instagram, which sells for nearly a billion dollars. And what was it about Instagram? That was worth a billion dollars. Was it the pretty pictures that Facebook was acquiring? No, it was about acquiring more data on people and a new platform to serve them more advertising on. Advertising today is all based on targeting users who would be good customers. In order to target users, we need data. And so I wanted to bring you this story first of Elliot Pepper, who lives in Oakland. Now, Elliot recently released a science fiction book, Cumulus, which is based on his experiences in San Francisco, obviously drawn to the furthest conclusion. But at the heart of it, the issues that he's tackling in Cumulus are real. The premise being that in a futuristic society, wealthy individuals can buy into a lavish lifestyle of convenience as long as they're okay with all of their data being tracked by companies like Google and Uber or in the book Cumulus. And if you buy into this, you can live in this convenient utopia. But if you cannot afford to buy into it, then you live in the slums, extreme slums, right outside the city of San Francisco. Now, this is close to what is actually happening today. While we may not always have physical barriers, there's a definite discrepancy between the haves and the have-nots. So here is Elliot talking a bit about surveillance and some of the inspiration behind Cumulus. I think that surveillance, 
we have, there's a lot of negative associations with that word for good reason, but the nature of information technology makes persistent surveillance like a basic assumption. Like, like the way that computers work mean you, means you can track everything and store it, right? And like, why wouldn't you? Like if you have a website and you're trying to make it a better website, wouldn't it help if you knew how people use the website? Like, of course you want to do that, right? But that's not where this stops. It doesn't stop at just better use and, and data for usage, which we've talked about. Analytics can be extremely helpful in any business, but this isn't necessarily just about data analytics so that we can improve our products. This is about data being used as a currency. Really what we're talking about is who who controls that surveillance apparatus and who has access, right? So uh, I think that a lot of the larger tech companies who have like massive amounts of data, I mean, you can just like read stories in the news about them. When they are talking about that data, they are very careful to basically like talk about everything as if it's only run by algorithms and everything is automated. Yeah, so it's like, oh, like, like we never touch it. It's just there, right? Um, you know, like, good for it. Um, and, and like, to a certain extent, that's true. Like, if you have, like, an enormous data set, you're not going to have people, like, individually filtering through it, uh, you know, unless you have a good reason for it. But they still control it, and they, they own the servers, where it, where that data is stored, right? Like they control access. And we as users have no right or have, or have no ability, whether or not we have the right is a different question, but we have very little ability or capacity to deny them that access. And I don't think Elliot's saying that we should have access. I, I think it's a question that we need to ponder as a collective society is how do we deal with this new form of information that we're, we're giving away freely, but we're also receiving value in using Facebook and Google, incredible value. But do we want to always be surveilled and do we want them to have the power of surveillance? Right, but like also we use all this stuff. And like we like computers because they make our lives uh, much more convenient, and, and you know there's a reason why computers have exploded, and it's not because the surveillance state is trying to get a, an eye out for you. It's like the, the surveillance state is taking advantage of the fact that I mean they're the laggards basically, right? They're like holy crap! Like look at this, everybody wants to have a computer with them at all times interacting with every other computer that is in everything they touch like awesome like it just got way cheaper to spy on everyone (laughs) and whose fault is this right are we responsible for giving away our data freely honestly think that one of the big things that we need to be more aware of as members of the general public is just like how computers work Right. Like if we don't understand our own tools, then like it's hard to blame other people when we do, you know, we do something wrong with them. So I think that that's important. I also think that it's really important that you realize that, you know, there's no free lunch in this world. Right. So, (laughs) I mean, 
when, you know, what's that famous line? When you're not the customer, you're the product. And this is what we see with, you know, the Facebooks, that model where we use the product for free, but it collects everything or as much as it can about us, our use on the application, and even our use all over the web with the Facebook like button, giving them access to more and more of our data. And Google's the same way. While they give us access to an incredible amount of information, in exchange, they're collecting as much information about us as possible. With Google Maps and Google Drive and Gmail, all of these applications are built in order to collect more and more data from us. And we're going to hear from Paul Parisi on this in just a minute. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. Now, back to the show. We talked with Paul Parisi, who hosts a podcast, The Edge of Innovation. If he ever thinks about his data being sold. Um, I don't. Um, I, you know, the, the value proposition that I weigh in my mind is, what am I getting out of here that, you know, is a benefit? And, uh, well, for example, I do not use Google Chrome very often. Um, I use uh, Firefox. So that is a little bit of a, you know, you could get in a room and people will call you crazy or you're, you're, you're right or you're paranoid in the wrong way or the right way. But what I, what I felt was is Google's, Google Chrome is very good, um, but it's designed to make sure that when they get data, they get as much as they can. And if I were Google, I'd want you to use Chrome. Or if I were starting a competitor to Google, I'd start a browser uh, and make sure that those funnels, the conduits from that browser, make it work really well. So the people who, and I guess I'd be happy to be challenged on this, but the people who are using Chrome, who are bought into the Google ecosystem, and who are just happy-go-lucky, they are giving away more information than people that uh, equal person uh, on on Firefox. Now, you, if you log into Firefox, you're going to, I'd say, get they're going to get 99% of the information that they get if you use Chrome. Uh, but that extra 1% is a huge um, inflection point for them. And so there's there's one aspect of Google selling your data to the highest bidder or all of the highest bidders, which is essentially their business model in advertising, where you search for socks. And they let everyone know that you search for socks and everyone who wants to sell socks can now come and show you ads for it. But what would be a bigger implication of this data being so public? We see some of the things have happened that we we say, you know, we couldn't dream that would actually happen. Oh, that'll never happen. But it's happened, you know, in some of the, in some of Europe's uh, different countries, you know, at, where they subvert the internet or they do this or they do this. Uh, even in Turkey last week, you know, they shut down a lot of the internet and access to this. So what's the distance between them saying, we're going to go to the next distance and we're going to subpoena under our laws all of Google's information about everybody and we're going to find people that were interested in the coup? And given our current capabilities, when we hear comments like this... The database is okay, and watch list is okay, and surveillance is okay. If you don't mind, I want to be... I want to surveil. I want surveillance of these people that are coming in. It's really no longer a crazy idea. It's actually extremely possible. We wouldn't even have to stand in line and register 
it could just be done through our internet history and figure out what we're interested in and make a good guess of who should be surveilled and who should not. But we could take a step back from the ledge for just a second and talk a bit about the business model of the internet. Is the free model of the internet really the right solution? Here's Andrew Keane, author of The Internet Is Not The Answer, with his opinion. Founders need to think differently. Founders need to think radically. I'm no great fan of um, Peter Thiel, but I think he makes the point clearly in his um, in his uh, Zero to One book that the only way forward in this increasingly dynamic and dis- creatively destructive economy, although unfortunately it's more destructive than creative at the moment, is to really think against the grain. And I think that the fundamental business model of the internet is broken. I think that the, 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 the so-called free model, which Google and Facebook and so many of the other companies have been very successful with, made fortunes for their founders and for their investors, uh, doesn't work because of the data implications, because of the way in which the free economy has been turned turned into the surveillance economy. So there's a huge opportunity for entrepreneurs, for founders, to reinvent the business model, to rethink how people pay for their online services. Now, this is not obviously a simple solution, nothing that we can change overnight, but what did Andrew suggest? My argument has always been that people should learn to pay again. Maybe I'm slightly conservative here, but consumers need to be educated too. Consumers at the moment are the fall guys. They're the ones who are being exploited. They think they're getting a great deal with the free economy, but they're not. They're paying very heavily for it in the destruction of their privacy. And how could you even approach charging people for what they have right now for free? I mean... Google Maps, even Google itself, the amazing search engine that gets better by the day. How can you get people to find an alternative and then actually charge them for it? Well, I think as this new economy makes more and more sense to people, as we have, using the example of Google, which is the best example, the most Mm -hmm. compelling example from my point of view, as it becomes clear that Google is joining up our data from its intelligent home applications like Nest, if Google has a self-driving car or partnerships with self-driving car companies, uh, obviously Maps, Search, Video, Android, as all these things begin to sort of permeate every aspect of our lives, plus, of course, there's the wearable revolution. By 2020, Ericsson says there'll be 50 billion intelligent devices. So, Again, without wishing to sound, without sounding sort of too cliché, we really are reaching a tipping point with this stuff. I don't think we've quite reached it yet, and there will be more and more data disasters. We haven't come to a, a Chernobyl yet, but I think there will be eventually a Chernobyl. And I think consumers will begin to come to their senses. It's never obvious until it's obvious, right? And that's what founders understand as well as anyone. And you know, maybe in five years, what I'm saying will make complete sense. But at the moment, it's it doesn't. Be, but at the same time, I think most people would acknowledge that, you know, even 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 the Googles and the Facebooks of the world, that the economy is not 
working ideally in this exchange of consumer data. And so Elliot explains it in a way of just knowing what we're getting into. It's not bad that companies are actually collecting the data, but it's up to us to make an informed decision to give them that data, what data to give them, and to know what the real exchange is between us and a digital company who's collecting data on us. And so I can make an educated decision as to, well, like... If I'm going to be paying them for this, they're going to have certain responsibilities to me as a customer. If I'm taking advantage of a positive externality and using their work for free, I'm going to do so only with the knowledge of how they are going to take advantage of me in return. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. Now, back to the show. So what is our point in all of this? I mean, can the government collect massive amounts of data on us? Sure. Do companies like Google and Facebook use our data and resell it to the highest bidder? Absolutely. But do we also get a ton of value without having to put up any money in exchange? I mean, where would we be without Google Maps, Google Search, Gmail, and even Facebook to connect nearly the entire world at this point? So it's not about saying no to data collection, but it's just about saying yes to being informed and being okay with the data that we're choosing to give to companies in exchange for their services. Is this new territory being forged? Absolutely. And it's up to us as entrepreneurs, as creatives, as creative thinkers to come up with elegant solutions to these type of problems, to think outside the box and know that what we're building has direct implications on the people using our software and whose data that we're collecting even. And if we're working together and we're working towards a better version of ourselves, there are solutions for these problems out there. There is no us and them. It's just us. And it's up to us to create a better tomorrow. Big thanks to all our guests tonight. Elliot Pepper, who just released his latest book, Neon Fever Dream, which is now available on Amazon. It is about, well... Let me just have Elliot tell you. It is about a dark secret hidden in the swirling dust and exultant revelry of Burning Man. So I don't see how you can go wrong there. And if you're interested in Cumulus, you can also find that on on Amazon. Big thanks to Andrew Keene, who wrote The Internet is Not the Answer. Search that on Amazon. And to Paul Parisi, who hosts the Edge of Innovation podcast, which you can find on iTunes or on his site, paulparisi.com. 